We hear so often on our show that a lot of post-secondary institutions, you know, don't or still don't include an accessibility or inclusivity module into the curriculum. It's not part of the mainstream curriculum yet. So, you know, it may be a little, you know, paragraph or two in a course on web design or something, but until we reach the point where we have mass adoption in post-secondaries where accessibility is being taught and inclusivity from the ground up, I think we're still decades away from you know, mainstream being accessible. Welcome to Triple Vision. I'm David Best, and in this podcast, we are continuing our exploration of technology. Triple Vision respects the views, thoughts, and opinions of our speakers, but they do not necessarily represent the Triple Vision team or our partners and sponsors. So in our first podcast, talking about technology, we looked at the advancement of technology. In our second podcast, we talked about the inclusion communication strategies. And now in this podcast, we're going to move to inclusive assistive technologies and its role in mainstream society. So Peter, before you introduce our guests, I understand we have a replacement for Hannah while she's away. Why don't you go ahead and introduce the speakers? Sure. Thank you, David. Well, it is impossible to replace Hannah. Hannah, as we talked about last time, is working on her new book. So we brought in a new voice to fill in for her while she's away. I want to introduce Carolyn Burdo. Carolyn, welcome to the team and welcome to the Triple Vision podcast. Thank you. So I I never like doing this part because I just don't know where to begin. But I have a background in law and I love all things um, dogs, enjoy cooking, wine, and sailing, and uh, I'm a technology person now, which is a surprising thing. So welcome, Carolyn. And I want to welcome our guests who are usually are at no loss for words. The AT Banter podcast team are going to call you guys our associate podcast team doing stories about technology, blindness related. So gentlemen, can you introduce yourselves to the Triple Vision audience? Hi there. My name is Rob Bino. I am one of the hosts of the AT Banter podcast. I have worked in the assistive technology field for about, uh, I guess, 16 or 17 years. Currently, though, I am working as a communication coordinator for a small nonprofit here in Vancouver that supports uh, uh, children and youth who are blind or partially sighted called Blind Beginnings. Welcome, Rob. Hello, I'm Ryan Fleury. I am also one of the co-hosts of the AT Banter podcast. I work with my other co-host, Steve Barkley, and have been in the assistive technology field for 23 years, and I am totally blind. Welcome, Ryan. And I am Steve Barkley. Uh, I am the other co-host of AT Banter, and uh, I am also the owner of uh, Canadian Assistive Technologies, uh, which is the uh, sugar daddy, I guess you could say, for the AT Banter podcast. I've been involved in uh, assistive technology for uh, coming up on 33 years now. Well, thank you, Steve. And that's a great segue into what we're going to be talking about today in terms of assistive technologies and basically mainstream and the concept of universal design. But let's start with some basic terms. What typically do we mean when we talk about assistive or adaptive technology? I would probably say that it's anything that is is specially designed uh, to provide access to 
anything that might not necessarily be accessible. That actually encompasses a fairly broad range of things from, you know, simple adaptations, but uh, more commonly, uh, we, we tend to associate it with high tech. But assistive technology can be something as as simple as a white cane. And how does assistive technology fit in with what we're calling universal design or the mainstream? What's what's that interplay that takes place there? It's a fairly complicated relationship, I think. Um, more and more, we're starting to see what was assistive technology being built into uh, products. So, you know, your, your example would be, you know, voiceover in a Mac, for example, or, or narrator in a, in a PC, you know, those used to be only available as external programs. Now they're part, they're, they're baked right into the operating systems. So I don't know if that necessarily means that they're no longer assistive technology because they're baked in, but, uh, it's, uh, it, it's a bit of a blurry line these days as to what would be assistive technology versus, you know, mainstream technology. There seems to be a lot more emphasis by by manufacturers to make their products inclusive, um, part, partly due to legislation, I guess. But uh, more and more, we're seeing assistive technology become uh, mainstream. How do we imagine the future of assistive and adaptive technologies? I think in in many cases, it's it's going to be a separate thing, simply because there are always going to be very, very specific needs that it would be impossible for the mainstream to address. I don't know if that's so much true of uh, low vision and blindness technologies. Those, I think, would be amongst some of the easier technologies to become fully mainstream. But when it comes to things like uh, physical access, which is another area that, that we cover, you know, you get down to uh, very, very specific needs that need to be addressed for people's physical needs. That part, I can't see that ever going completely mainstream. Why is that, Steve? So what, you know, what's happening on that side, on, on the physical side? I'm just curious about why that's going to have to remain separate somehow. Well, imagine, for example, somebody who uh, lives a good majority of their life in a in a powered wheelchair with, um, you know, very very limited physical access. You know, we can uh, through various technologies that we handle, we can connect somebody to a computer right down to uh, a single muscle if necessary, or even eye gaze technology if necessary. You know, there there are. Uh, you know, there's an interplay that happens in cases like that between, you know, occupational therapists, physical therapists to determine exactly, you know, how a person can be positioned, how a person uh, can, you know, do movement that's meaningful for their access. I, I just can't, I, I can't see there being, uh, you know, a, a one one solution for everybody for cases like that, because they do get so very specific. Low vision and blindness, uh, a, a lot of it, at least a good chunk of it, can be addressed by the mainstream by baking in technologies that have existed for many years. We hear so often on our show that a lot of post-secondary institutions, you know, don't or still don't include an accessibility or inclusivity module into the curriculum it's not part of the mainstream curriculum yet so you know it may be a little you know paragraph or two in a course on web design or something but until we reach the point where we have mass adoption in post-secondaries where accessibility 
is being taught and inclusivity from the ground up, I think we're still decades away from, you know, mainstream being accessible. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, on, on, a, on a technological basis, you know, yes, sure, it, it may be possible to bake in a lot of a, a lot of assistive technology into something like a mainstream advice. But what makes it difficult would be really to, to practically make a, a device that you could um, sell into the mainstream for a price point that's, that's actually going to catch on. There are always going to be add-ons to technology. You know what I'm thinking? Like, for example, say it like a, a Braille display, an electronic Braille display. Um, that's always going to be a, a separate device that plugs into a mainstream product. Probably, you know, you're not, you're likely not going to see something like a, a mainstream laptop that has something like that built onto it. Technologically, sure, that might be possible to do, but I don't know that it's necessarily going to be practical. But I mean, that is the that is the the challenge also within the assist, assistive technology field is that you're 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 have to service such a wide range of of different um, types of disability and and different conditions that you, you, so so trying to to produce something like you know a catch-all um, device that's going to be able to service everybody that you Steve's right I mean it would be incredibly challenging I was thinking about something with that uh, just as you were talking and we talk about uh, for secondary education, not including accessibility as a main component, don't you think it should even be earlier? Like if kids grow up with the idea that everybody needs access, wouldn't it make more sense? They, you know, they're teaching coding and programming to kids in schools. So, you know, sure, they could definitely include some accessibility but again, where do you start? How do you start introducing that? Because it is such a broad subject. Yeah, education is always important. Uh, and the broader the education, the better, of course. If, if you live in a big city, for example, if you live in, if you're going to a, you know, a large high school, say, for example, odds are there's going to be kids with disabilities in that school and you're going to have some exposure to it there. But if you're living in, you know, a small town, going to a small school, there's a, there's an equally good chance that you're never going to encounter a kid with special needs, or at least not with, um, very specific special needs. Yeah. I think, I think you probably do Steve. So if I can weigh in and this is, this is a great point for everyone to sort of talk about at some point you would think small town people are going to go out in the world and meet people with disabilities. And there needs to be some grounding. And I know we're talking about basic education as opposed to, you know, here's how you code to meet the needs of people with disabilities. We're talking totally different levels of education there. But just some kind of basic, some kind of grounding, I think is important for for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, the, certainly the, the earlier the better. And I think that, you know, even just the exposure to somebody, you know, so... If you, to use an example, like say somebody grew up going to elementary school with with uh, with a peer that's say blind. Just by having that experience, they can understand better what what their their challenges were um, in in accessing um, school materials or or whatever. Or they become familiar with some of the devices that that kid might be using. And you know they go on through high school and they they go into college and they they work to become a computer developer. Maybe that's going to be top of mind when they are, sorry, say, developing software or whatever. Maybe they will be a little bit more tuned into accessibility. So I think that even just through that 
that experience that can then benefit us. But I mean, I, I would agree. I mean, I think that that teaching it in teaching about accessibility and the importance of that at at a grade school level, I can't see the harm in that. Yeah, you know, I'm just kind of thinking about the mainstream right now, and, and there's been a big push from Lego over the past couple of years and, and Braille bricks and stuff. So educational toys are coming along when it comes to inclusivity. And, and so I don't really see why they couldn't adapt the curriculum to include even some basic elements of accessibility or assistive technology. You know, we have you know, something as simple as a talking watch or a talking calculator or even, you know, your Apple TV, you know, a lot of these devices that a lot of people may have, have assistive technology built into them. And it would just take a five minute demonstration to show how something works. So, you know, I definitely think there's a place that could be started, but again, I don't know how we get that happening. We'll be right back as soon as we hear from one of our partner organizations. Hi, I'm Rob Minot. And I'm Ryan Flurry, And I'm Steve Barkler. And we are the hosts of the AT Banter Podcast. Banter, banter. The AT Banter Podcast is a podcast where we talk with advocates and members of the disability community to educate and inspire better conversation about disability. And we have a cowbell. AT Banter is sponsored by Canadian Assistive Technologies, distributor and retailer of assistive devices for low vision, blindness, physical access, augmentative communication, and cognition. You can find us at atbanter.com for the podcast or www.canastech.com for Canadian Assistive Technologies. So last year or the year before, I was at a conference and I met a parent of a student who's been vision impaired all his life. He's owned iPhones and iPads, but they did not know that there is an accessibility package included in Apple. And I was shocked because if you give me a device, I'm going to go and explore it. But I guess not everyone wants to do that. But what if it were part of the curriculum that, that people are taught about these other features that are available on your devices? I run into exactly the same thing all the time, Carolyn. I'm, I'm constantly telling my customers, particularly those with low vision, because you know I get people who who come to me and they say, "Oh, you know, I want a I want a handheld video magnifier, for example," and then they take their handheld video magnifier and they hold it over top of their iPad or their iPhone. And they say, "Oh, yeah, you know, I can I can see this." And I go, "Oh my god," <laughs> you know, and, and then you go and you explain, you know, there's a, you know, it's built right in. It's like really. So yeah, there, there's a there's a a profound lack of understanding of what's actually available in some cases. But but how do you get the word out about that? I I don't know because I think Apple's done a pretty decent job of uh, you know letting people know about their accessibility features and and making them available within the within the product. And I guess it's just kind of you know it's like most other technologies that have really robust feature sets people tend to use the you know the five percent that that they need and never really go too much further beyond that and, and it's it seems to be you know right across the assistive technology industry the 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 question is always how do we get information out to the community that that uses this because there's no good direct line of communication to everybody who has a visual impairment, for example. So, 
you know, the, the struggle is real, as they say, you know, how it's difficult to communicate that to the, the broad audience that needs that information. But, but isn't that why you could make it part of the school curriculum? Call it something like accessing our world or, I don't know. Do you think governments would, would be against it? I know that it would be a battle to get it into the curriculum. Yeah, I guess there's a number of gatekeepers that you have to get past before you can get anything added to a curriculum. Oftentimes, not a lot of agreement, even for, you know, basic principles like, you know, <laughs> basic educational concepts, for example. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, that would be the ideal place to address it would be in within curriculum to, to give people a better understanding of, of, you know, what's out there and what, what people's needs are in, in a diverse community. Well, I want to kind of pick up on that point, maybe draw a parallel. So when we had Utah Trevrianis on our program um, a couple of podcasts ago, so Utah is the director of the Inclusion Design Research Center at OCAD University. So she spent her life working in the field of universal design, inclusive design, promoting those concepts. And what she said is it really is unrealistic uh, to expect that the assistive technology devices are going to be able to keep up with the mainstream devices. You know, you're, you're always playing catch up, right? So there's an update and then all of a sudden the assistive technology needs to update. She suggested that relationship needs to be inverse. And it's a, it's a different way of thinking about universal design, I think. And that would be that while we don't expect the Microsofts of the world to come out with Braille displays, maybe the expectation would be that when Microsoft develops its, its product, it builds in the protocols that will work with Braille displays. And it's not the Braille displays that have to be constantly updating uh, to keep up with that. It's actually the Microsofts and the Apple and the, the Googles that have to do that. Can, can you guys weigh in on that? Well, I guess one of the quick things I just want to mention is, you know, Apple on the iPhone 15 finally has USB-C, right? So they've finally gotten away from their proprietary lightning adapters. And it's taken them how long since the first iPhone to adopt something like that? But, you know, I think it, it would be great if the mainstream would flip that on its head. You know, I, I almost think it would be fantastic if every mainstream product out there, like, like your iPhone, when you first powered it up, it came up talking and was magnified, saying, would you like accessibility features turned on? You, you have that choice right at startup, right? Whether it's your TV set, your smart TV, your thermostat, whatever the device might be, if it has any sort of accessibility built in, have it come up first, <laughs> and we have the option to turn it off instead of vice versa. I agree 100%. I just moved and I inherited... And a new stove, which is impossible to work. It's got a, a panel and I put buttons on it and the buttons keep falling off. And I don't know how many uh, IRA minutes or be my eye minutes I've spent. Like, can you help me turn this damn thing on? So, and I was just thinking that, like if we had some sort of, even just a button, even just one tactile button, which provided some kind of orientation that I could you know, just press that for accessibility, go here, go there, whatever it is. I mean, that would help. Yeah. And that's always the challenge uh, of assistive technology that, that is sort of an, an add on to a mainstream technology. I mean, it's always been that way where, you know, the, the mainstream device updates or changes something. And then all of a sudden it invalidates that, that piece of assistive technology. 
I mean, there's much hair has been pulled out uh, over the years because of those things. And, you know, I, I think it's gotten better, certainly, but we're also kind of in a little bit of a, you know, I, I would say, I would say since the, you know, maybe 2009 with the advent of the iPhone, we've been in a little bit of a golden age of assistive technology. The, the assistive technology in, in some fields, I shouldn't, I shouldn't speak to, to all fields, but it has been changing quite a bit and improving and being implemented into uh, mainstream devices. The smartphone is a great example uh, of, a, of a device that, they, that, that we can look to as a bit of a blueprint on how to start to bake in um, accessibility features. It does feel like it's almost a, a universal designed device. You know, it, it has a ways to go and it wasn't always perfect, but it's probably the best example that we have of something like that. And big companies are taking notice. You know, Xbox has this the, their adaptive controller. I saw a commercial the other day that Sony now has an adaptive controller that's coming out or is out now. So the big companies are standing up and taking notice. Yeah. And, you know, I will say that, you know, recently I bought actually a PlayStation 5 and I plugged it in my TV, plugged the thing in, and I was shocked to discover that it has a built-in screen reader that's on by default. The first time you turn this thing on, it starts talking to you and walks, starts to walk you through the setup. And you actually have to go in and turn that voiceover off if you don't want it. It sounds like it's an evolving situation. This is changing. You know, Obviously, we're not the same place we were five years ago, 10 years ago. The mainstream is taking advantage of some of these things in terms of moving it forward. But, you know, where, where do you think we're going to be in 10 years? I mean, 10 years, I, I don't know, maybe we'll, we'll, there'll be a, enough of a jump in, say, wearable technology and, you know, augmented reality that we might see some movement there. I mean, 10 years, it sounds like a lot, but it really isn't. I mean, if you think back to, you know, what we, what were we doing in 2013? I mean, it, it was a very different landscape back then to now. But I, I really do feel like this is this is a field that that a lot of people are are seriously working on is is that wearable technology. They we really want to get to that place where there's it's going to be some sort of a headset or some sort of a probably more likely some sort of an eyeglass frame, like the Google Glass, which you know you know, love it or hate it, uh, was probably a little bit ahead of its time. That was probably its biggest mistake. People just weren't ready for it. But, you know, that's that's kind of where I suspect we'll, we'll be in 10 years. Well, I want to throw out there too that I think, you know, we as end users have a have a responsibility to reach out to companies. If there's a product that we want to use or have and would like to use, reach out to the companies and and mention accessibility, mention that you'd be willing to help them out if you're if you're able to, you know, I'm a beta tester for one of the largest audio interface companies in the world, and you know they're building accessibility into their products, and so I'm going to keep buying that product, right? So there's a bit of an onus on us as well to help educate these companies about inclusivity. Well, that's a great place to leave it for today. Thank you, AT Banter, Steve, Rob, Ryan. Thank you, Carolyn, for joining us today, and uh, it's been a great discussion. Well, that was a great conversation. I think that uh, we've learned a little bit of more about what needs to be done with the integration of assistive technologies and mainstream technologies. You know, it's interesting that 
will always have assistive technologies, especially things that are designed for a niche need, such as eyeglasses. You know, it's a low-tech assistive device, eyeglasses. So we'll always have something. But I hear designers talk more and more about the disappearing computer, whereas it's very interesting that in the general society, people seem to be moving toward the audio interface. More and more we see things like Google and Siri and Amazon going to audio. We see more and more people accessing Audible for Audible content. So it's very interesting that we're actually merging with society on a different level that we're not really uh, aware of. But you know, what, I, what I've noticed is that successful companies focus their universal design on human-centered needs. So Apple, for example, was very successful because their very first iPhone that came out had voiceover. And Steve Jobs always said, it's the user that matters. So I think that we're seeing this slow merging together. And what we'll see is there's two aspects to it. One is the user interface, which is the infrastructure. So we see wireless, cloud-based, and miniaturization, making it possible for devices to connect. The other side is the user experience, where we'll see devices connect much better together. So we'll never see a Braille display on a computer, but we will see much better connectivity and user experience where a Braille display will automatically connect to the computer. You won't have to go through all the configuration. So Peter, what was your thoughts on that dialogue? Well, similar to you, David, I've been trying to kind of reconcile what we heard from Utah in terms of what are the possibilities and expectations of inclusive design and how does that fit with where we're at in the area of assistive technologies. And I think those two things are, are coming together. So we heard a little bit about that. You know, I will always favor as much universal and inclusive design as possible, uh, because I think that's where everything needs to go, where technology needs to go. But even Utah, for example, talked about the limitations of that, saying just exactly what you said. We can't expect, or there probably won't be a day when a Microsoft computer or any computer will have a Braille display, but there should come a day when that uh, company is aware that the user could be using a Braille display and putting in the, the hooks uh, and protocols uh, that will work with that display. Similarly, I think the great sort of um, frontier, which we haven't actually explored yet, uh, we've talked about assistive te technologies, but we haven't talked about devices like fridges, uh, stoves, for example, microwaves, that kind of thing. That's a huge area, which seems to be really not much attention being paid to at all, uh, at, at all to that right now. What do you think, Carolyn? Actually, it's interesting you mentioned the appliances because recently I went to help a friend purchase a dishwasher. And their criteria was that it has to be accessible to a blind person. And, you know, we, we ended up, I think, deciding on a Samsung. But the thing is, you have to trigger it by pushing a physical button on the machine, and then you can use your phone to start it. It's really interesting. But I, I think there, that's a lot that we could explore there for. And, and again, that would make it easy for kids to understand, okay, this is just part of life. So lots to explore there. 
education, you know, uh, as you said, we got into that a little bit more and talking about where education needs to start and how it needs to start. So tune us in next time to Triple Vision. In the meantime, we're going to leave you with a song performed by uh, Ryan Fleury, who is part of that podcast. Ryan is a bit, a bit of a musician and has recorded this song with descriptive video. So we're going to go out on that song and tune in next time to Triple Vision. A record spins on a turntable. The needle arm swings over the vinyl, then lowers onto the record's grooves. A globe near the record player rotates. Outside, a boy sits on a brick wall viewing a tablet. In a modest backyard, a toddler wearing a white dress toddles amongst people, drinking and mingling. I have seen the world through a child's eyes. The little girl wanders toward the house. As a place of innocence, wonder and surprise. An older girl stands before a public fountain. I can't believe our new reality. A U.S. soldier holds up a vial labeled COVID-19. This isn't the way life was meant to be. Lines on the ground keep people distanced six feet apart. Out in a derelict squad. We can make a difference if we try. Volunteers distribute clothing to an elderly couple. But it has to start with you and I. Outside, a young mother holds her toddler and waves. Then she straightens his sunglasses. The vinyl record spins on the turntable. A man with tattoos on his neck, who was previously making an angry phone call, is now calm. He wears earbuds and nods his head to the music. A smile tugs at his lips. Another man holds a baby. I'm grown up now with two kids of my own. A dad holds up his toddler. A sign reads, Black Lives Matter. What kind of world will I leave them when I'm gone? Reporters film a Black Lives Matter event. help children with their schoolwork or make the same mistakes as you and me a husband and wife at a computer appear defeated we can fill the world with hope and in the street kids play drums on the beach a woman dances or live in a place of hate and poverty on the ocean's sandy shore a young girl's dress flutters in the breeze boy with dark glasses and a cane is led onto a baseball field. But it has to start with you and I. A blonde woman smiles in the hazy sunlight. Teenage girls embrace with laughter at a food distribution center. A man and a woman hug, their faces beaming. Two men put their arms around each other as they stroll down a street. The husband of the defeated couple now lifts his wife into the air in celebration. Couple dances in their kitchen with their children. Or live in a place of hate 
on a balcony overlooking the night lights of a city. We can make a difference if we try. Various people smile in front of a white backdrop. But it has to start with you and I. A woman laughs as she smiles. A teenaged girl lowers her eyes bashfully, then reveals a dimply grin. Over distant mountains across a harbor, the sun sets in an orange glow. Credits, written and performed by Ryan Fleury. Editing by Rob Minot. Electric guitar and piano by Mark Charcello. Descriptive video provided by Descriptive Video Works. Triple Vision is made possible by the generous support of Alliant, A-L-L-Y-A-N-T, and the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians, A-E-B-C. Thank you for joining us on this journey. If you would like to reach out to Triple Vision with questions or comments, you can email us at triplevision21 at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at triplevision21. 